Welcome to A Teaspoon of Healing, where we explore the pathways to wellness and vibrant living. Listen to personal stories of healing and interviews with experts. It's time to open a doorway to healing in your life through positive changes. Here is your host, Dawn Damari. Hi, I'm Dawn Damari, and you're listening to A Teaspoon of Healing. Well, today's topic is the largest organ in our body, our skin and some surprisingly harmful effects of our modern skincare habits. My guest is Dr. Sandy Scott-Nicky. She's a dermatologist and author from Canada, and she is the author of the best-selling book, Beyond Soap, the real truth about what you are doing to your skin and how to fix it for a beautiful, healthy glow. So learn about why sensitive skin is on the rise and why perhaps the food you're eating is not the culprit Oftentimes when we have skin issues, the first thing we think of, well, maybe it's the gluten, maybe it's something we eat. Well, perhaps it's the preservatives and the fragrances in our skincare, our soap, and even in our natural products. So Dr. Scott Nikki will be talking all about this and more. So stay tuned for that. This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute medical advice. Please consult a physician or other health professional before undertaking changes in lifestyle or wellness habits. The author claims no responsibility to any person or entity for any liability, loss, or damage caused or alleged to be caused directly or indirectly as a result of use, application, or interpretation of the information presented herein. And before we get into our interview, let's hear from one of our sponsors, Golf Tours. Hi, this is Goff, owner of Goff Tours, specializing in stand-up paddleboarding or surfing lessons. I even do snorkeling. You can reach me here. Orange County has what you're looking for. You can contact me via email at gofftours at gmail.com or mobile number is 949-338-5937, gofftours.com. I'm Dawn Damari, and you're listening to A Teaspoon of Healing. Well, today I have a guest with me, Dr. Sandy Scott-Nicky. She is a dermatologist joining us today. Hi, Sandy. Hi, how are you? Nice to be here. Good, good. I'm, I'm doing well, and I'm glad that you're here. Hope you're doing well as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a little bit hot up here, but I'm not complaining. It's Canada after all. Okay, so you're in Toronto, is that correct? Yes, Toronto. Oh, and so it's, it's pretty warm there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, contrary to what people think, it's not always igloos in Canada. We have <laughs> it was like thirty-five or something like that last week. It was really hot. Oh wow, that actually yeah. is quite warm. Mm-hmm. So Sandy, yes, you are a dermatologist as well as an author. You are the author of a book. What is the book titled? The book is called Beyond Soap: The Real Truth About What You're Doing to Your Skin and How to Fix It for a Beautiful, Healthy Glow. The working title is kind of beyond soap. It's a look at what we're sort of doing as a society when we wash and clean ourselves, which we're probably doing more than we, not probably, we are doing more than we should for our health. Okay. And so you are a dermatologist and how long have you been practicing? I've been 20 years as a dermatologist. And well, part of the reason I wrote the book is my interest within dermatology is something called contact dermatitis. So things that contact your skin that cause reaction, both in an allergic manner or just an irritating manner. And there's a small sort of subset of dermatologists around the world who deal with this uh, subspecialty. 
Okay, and in contact dermatitis, do you get usually a rash or what other things can you get if you either in, yeah. if you're in contact with an allergen or whatever it is? Well, typically we get referrals from other dermatologists or allergists, you know, asking the question, is this person allergic to something that they're touching? Like I also see quite a bit of occupational skin disease, so people that might be reacting to their workplace. And you know, it's a very it's an interesting thing over the 20 years I've been a dermatologist and Part of the reason I wrote the book is I see the same problems over and over again because when people get rashes, itchy, red, scaly, flaky, rosacea type stuff on the face, kids with rashes, they automatically think food. Is it gluten? Is it something I'm eating? And I do think as dermatologists and medicine in general, we do realize now that diet has a huge impact on our health and our skin as well. We just don't know all the answers. But to blame sort of I think you guys have poison ivy out there, right? Yes. Poison sumac, poison ivy. You know, when you have an itchy, flaky, scaly rash that's all over your body that stays for days, it's not from food. And, and it's frustrating for us because people like, well, are you going to test, you know, gluten? Are you going to test me to X? And I'm like, no, no, we're going to test you to the, you know, preservative and fragrance that's in your shampoo or in your, your organic face cream. And there's a big disconnect too. And I think part of the reason I wrote the book was, and I know that this is sort of something that you are an authority on, is this natural sort of organic skincare is problematic because if you ask most people who have had rashes or have sensitivities and you'll say, do you use fragrance products? They'll go, oh, no, 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 fragrance is bad. I'm not going to use that. Makes my rash worse. But then they're using lavender. And I'm like, well, lavender's a fragrance. And when I did the research for this book, I actually learned a lot, which is always an interesting thing. And, you know, essential oils, most people know that are knowledgeable, they know it's not one thing. It's like 30 or 40 or sometimes even 50 chemicals because it's the essence of a plant, right? Mm -hmm. You're like sucking out all this life from the plant. It also depends on where it's harvested, et cetera. So, you know, just because it's natural, it's still fragrance. And I think... That was some of the feedback from the book was like, oh, I never really thought about it that way. Oh, and, you know, using natural products in babies. You know, I want to go more natural for my children. Okay, well, it's still a plant. It's still a chemical. The immune system has to deal with it. It's still problematic. I don't know if you know the article was written or published a few months ago about lavender oil and treaty oil being hormone disruptors in young boys causing breast development. So oh, I didn't know this. Okay. Yeah, I'm trying to get, you know, a message. It's not, I'm not just talking about that one particular point, but that is one of the purposes of the book, to have that distinction or understand it better. Yeah, a lot of people, there is a misconception about, oh, if it's natural, there's not, it's not man-made chemical fragrance, it's fine, but you can still be allergic to the natural fragrance and, and, and they can and, be yes. hormone disruptors and they can be irritating and i think mm -hmm. that's actually even more problematic allergy typically with respect to contact dermatitis is not that common it's still it happens and of course i'm biased because i see that patient populace but the greater issue is irritation and that's sort of a more difficult scientific concept to explain and I, so i try to explain in the book about cumulative irritation about how it's not your one product, it's all of your products together have to play nice. And mm -hmm. I think that's partly why we have the sort of sensitive skin epidemic. It's not just your face wash. It's your face wash plus your shampoo that runs over your face, plus your moisturizer, plus your toner, plus your mist spray, plus, you know, plus, plus, plus. And then you've got 400 chemicals. It doesn't matter how natural they are. Your skin just reaches a threshold and then it gets irritated. 
And then you go to the dermatologist, you're like, well, what, what do I do? And, <laughs> and mm-hmm. we're like pulling our hair out going, well, you don't need all this stuff. Like stop using all this stuff. And that's where I kind of did this, something called a product elimination diet, which is a play on words of a, like a food elimination diet. Mm-hmm. where you kind of stop everything. I give you a list of products that are okay that I've vetted and then you reintroduce and, and you know, some of the pushback I've got there as well. Why can't I just go buy something at the drugstore that's labeled for sensitive skin or hypoallergenic? Because as you know, I'm sure you know that it's not regulated. Mm-hmm. So, and that's the other frustration we have as dermatologists of so people try to make it their problems better by going and listening to somebody at the drugstore or the YouTube or the whatever Instagram and then like, oh, this is this is, you know, all natural and this is for sensitive skin and and they don't make the connection that that's actually the cause of their problem. Interesting. Now, sensitive skin, has it become more prevalent in recent years or has it the trend is has been upward, right? Oh yeah. So in the, in the first page of my book, I, I part of the reason again I wrote the book was so three reasons. There's a huge increase in the number of people reacting to personal care products ingredients, and the FDA published that data in 2016, looking at the prior three years and how the graft is just going upward. And that's only people that report. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of people don't even report, and a lot of people don't even know it's their skincare. The second part is this sensitive skin sort of epidemic, where I reviewed a whole bunch of studies that were peer-reviewed studies in journals that are good academic journals talking about the incidence of self-perceived sensitive skin because there's no strict definition. It's what somebody reports, right? right? Burning, stinging, sometimes there's rash, sometimes there isn't. And I mean, if you look at it, just industrialized countries around the world, it's 40% of people self-identify with having sensitive skin. And now that's not possible genetically. Okay. So it's it's something we're doing as a society, mm-hmm. and that's where I sort of explain the story in much more detailed scientific fashion that tries to explain how we got here. I mean, I think the statistic was 61 people surveyed in the U.S. self-identified with sensitive skin, 91 Italian, 80-something in France. I mean, oh, wow. you know, that's just that's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then the last part is the steep rise in conditions where you do get scaly, itchy skin, like eczema. Mm-hmm. And then along with that is that sort of whole group of disorders that we call atopic. So eczema, asthma, allergies, food allergies. There was a great article, kind of came full circle for me from my book, came out in April in Annals of Immunology and Allergy linking the skin barrier, which is, I'll talk a little bit about that, but our skin is our sort of armor to the outside world. Mm -hmm. And if you disrupt that barrier, the study was done in mice, but essentially it's possibly the window to food allergy. As people think it's what you're eating, it's what you're exposing yourself to, or what you're giving your kids in the first year of life. But people forget that the skin is a gateway into our body and in through the immune system. So that's very fascinating. I mean, you know, the skin might be the frontier that hasn't really been looked mm-hmm. at because you just, there's this assumption that washing and cleaning is healthy yep. and it is, but if you overdo it, it's not with the exception of your hands. Hands washing is very important. I make that very clear in the book. It decreases the transmission of disease. Mm-hmm. There are some do's and don'ts I talk about because if you overwash and you actually break the skin or it's open, you can increase your risk of infection. And um, that's a problem too. So yeah, the concept of the skin as being a barrier, I talk about it like a brick wall. So think of your skin like a brick wall, 
the cells are your bricks and the mortar is sort of your natural oils and it seal it causes this sort of sealant this wall it's quite amazing actually and it's permeable so things can come in and things can come out but what water and soap and just even plain water itself decreases the mortar so when you're in the shower and you're scrubbing your whole body and you're and you're not even dirty you didn't do anything you just woke up in the morning and having a shower you're actually damaging your skin you're leaving it open so when you go out into the pollution or you put stuff on your skin it has the potential to get through down to the deeper layers. Like we know as dermatologists that people wash too much, they clean too much, mm-hmm. bought their body and their hair. There's a group of academic dermatologists that believe high pH, high alkaline bars of soap in young children, especially if they have a genetic history, is part of the reason why we have an increase in uh, atopic eczema. And it totally makes sense. Now, modern skincare habits... What do you see as some of the harmful effects? I mean, a lot of us have so many products, you know, whether it's acne, aging, sensitive, well, sensitive skin, I know we shouldn't use too many, but you know, you go to the skin spa, one of those spas, and they usually recommend a ton of products. I myself have too too many products. So what are the harmful effects of a lot of our modern skincare habits? Well, the first thing I want to say is I've gotten some feedback on the book that wasn't positive saying, you know, I, I get your message, but I use... 40 products and I don't have a problem. Mm -hmm. That's great. But the question is, and the reason I wrote the book and for the people I wrote the book is what happens when you do have a problem? Because you don't know which of those 40 products or half open bottles are the culprit. Mm -hmm. And everybody wants a magic bullet. Everyone, Mm -hmm. give me a, give me the best cream. People say there is no best cream. Mm -hmm. And it's also about, you certainly could be allergic to something in your skincare but it's also the cumulative effects of all of it together. So to answer your question, what's good and bad in skincare, that's tough mm-hmm. because everybody looks at good and bad differently. Right. Uh, and I, I want to make the distinction because I, I also got some feedback. Someone said, well, you know, you didn't talk about toxicology and about things that are cancer causing. Well, that's not what I'm mm-hmm. an expert in. I'm an expert in, in things that give people rashes. And it's not logical if you have red, itchy skin. The knee-jerk response for most people is to go natural. And it's not... They're not the same thing. Things that are carcinogenic or toxic or hormone disruptors usually often don't give people rashes. Mm -hmm. And so it's this that's one of the things I I really try to make a point of. So, good and bad skincare, there's a, I wish I had my book in front of me. There's a sentence I say that I really like. (laughs) Many ingredients are, when we're talking about skin reactivity, are going to be fine for many people, but there are some ingredients where people, certain people will have reaction to. And we named one already, which is fragrance. Mm-hmm. Fragrance is such a fascinating topic. I mean, there's about 5,000, well, three to 5,000, depending on where you read, because you also have to factor in the organic or plant-based things. But there are thousands of chemicals that are considered to be fragrances. It's not one thing. Mm-hmm. I personally, and most dermatologists would agree that, you know, we don't need fragrance mm-hmm. in our skincare. People want it because it smells nice. If you're having a problem, it's the first thing you cut out, whether it's from a tree from Africa that you spent $50 for some magic fragrance, or it's the Procter & Gamble product that has your just fragrance on the bottle and you don't even know what's in it. The other thing that often causes problems are just plant-based ingredients that don't really have any function, right? You, you, You pick up a there's this conception or I think it's going, the arm is going the other direction and that more is better, right? So if you have 50 ingredients, wow, it's got to be a good product, mm-hmm. right? Because you've got 
all these cool sounding yeah. you know, botanical stuff. And again, the trend should be less is more. Most creams, lotions, potions only need about tops 10 molecules, 10 chemicals to function. You need some water, you need a preservative, you need stabilizer, you need your active, whatever. It's actually arguable you only need four or five ingredients. So because it's such a complex answer, I just say less is more. Look for things that have 10 ingredients or less or and are fragrance-free, both organic fragrance or plant-based fragrance and synthetic fragrance. And that's where it becomes a bit of a problem for consumers because the labeling isn't helpful, right? I go in the drugstore periodically or health food stores and I'll pick up bottles and they'll say right on the bottle, fragrance-free. Mm-hmm. I'll turn it around and I'll see lavender, I'll see lime, oh, I'll see really? bergamot, I'll see... Yeah, because it's not regulated. Right. Right. So and, uh, if you really want fragrance-free, so the consumer- then what do you do? Because that's actually what I look for is, is I mm-hmm. always had a little sensitive mm-hmm. skin. So I'm in that umbrella. Oh, I really yeah. do look for the fragrance-free and not the, the natural ones actually don't yeah. really work for me. So like right. Cetaf- I'm not Cetaphil, but certain ones yeah. like this, and there's a couple others that, yeah, they're maybe not as high-end. Mm-hmm. They, they work well, at least for me, now well, that my skin isn't as high oily. High-end and price point has nothing to do with skin care I know. in general. Yeah, I know. If they try to make you think that, they do try to make you think that, mm-hmm. yes. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, another bit of pushback I've got is like my chapter four is it sort of talks about, and this was fascinating for me as well to, to when I did the research, is to how did we get here as a society that you feel like you need to shower every day and wash your body head to toe with some shower gel or bar of soap and wash your hair when it, you know, guys are the worst for this. Wash your hair when it's not even dirty, mm-hmm. right? Because it's it's like it's like a route kind of. This is what I'm supposed to do. This is what I've been told to do through marketing. This is healthy. Yes. And so I'm trying to turn it on its head a little bit and say, you know, do you know you're actually you're damaging yourself? Like, I mean, if you're dirty, great, wash yourself. If you're smelly, great, wash your underarms, wash your groin. But you know, getting in the shower in the morning. Or coming home from work when all you did was sit at a desk all day and scrubbing your whole body is not good for the skin. Mm -hmm. There's a fascinating article published in Nature by a microbiologist out of California, Dr. Dorenstein. And he has this really cool way of, he was looking to see what the, he wanted to describe the skin microbiome from a, like a mass spectrometer type of thing it's it's 3d camera that anyway mm-hmm. he had a, a couple not shower not bathe for three days and then they, he came in and he they came in and he did this this test on right. them and the greatest amount of molecules on the skin was leftover residue from personal care products really so it wasn't Somebody's, it wasn't bacteria every, yeah. like a bad you know the no interesting. no no he saw some, but the majority was, you know, leftover stuff in sunscreen and your, your detergents and, you know, preservatives. And that was really eye-opening for me as well, because the microbiome is really the next wave of medicine. Mm-hmm. We, we know a lot about the gut. We're just scratching the surface with the skin. And one of the things that we realize is the skin's pH is around five, just to make it easy, because it can have a bit of a range, but it's basically acidic. Okay. And that, that acidity is very necessary to maintain our bacterial microbiome. And I was doing an interview not too long ago, and somebody called it and said, well, I only use Castile soap because it's all natural, and I use it on my kids, and I use it on my laundry. And I, and the pH of that is 9. Oh, yeah, very basic. Then. Right? 
Right. And well, all all right. bars of soap, all yeah, they, true right. bars it's of have soap, have lye in it, right? So it's going to be um, right. alkaline. Very good. Okay. Yes, and it's very alkaline, and that is damaging to the skin because right. when you raise the skin pH, you actually set off this cascade where you you decrease that brick wall mm-hmm. that I talked about. Yes, and you make it you make it leaky. You know, in particular in children, you should never use true bars of soap, especially if you have a genetic predisposition for eczema or asthma, because this. You know, the studies show that mouse study I showed, it's a complicated study, but one of the things that really pushed people, the mice, not people, the mice towards peanut allergy was was whether they were washed with a detergent first because it made the skin more susceptible to something coming through it, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, true soap is, we have to move on beyond that. And that's... And what would you recommend in, for someone, like, okay, for an adult that is not, you know, maybe marginally sensitive mm-hmm. or, or like your children, I have... My kids are a little older now, but when they were babies, yeah, I do remember using probably the natural mm-hmm. soap. So what do you recommend yeah. in those cases? Well, especially if you have a if the child is having a sensitivity or, or you have a strong family history of asthma, eczema, allergy. I'll just digress for a second. One of my friends emailed me and she said, I was at the drugstore the other day and I saw this fellow and he had your book and he had all these bars of soap and he was checking out of the drugstore. He obviously didn't read your book. And I, <laughs> I kind of laughed because soap is such a fascinating, complex thing. It really was the first beauty product. Mm-hmm. It launched the beauty industry back in 18, whatever it was, 79 with ivory. But many of the bars that you actually see in the drugstore, like we talked about a brand, there's Cetaphil. There's something called CeraVe. There's a Vino bar. They're, they're not actually soap. There's something called synthetic detergent which is much better for the skin. Okay. But the pushback we get from some patients is it's not they're not biodegradable and soap's biodegradable. Right. Okay. It is debatable that true bar of soaps, like the ones that you said made with lye and all that, they're not fully biodegradable. And synthetic detergents, you know, they go down the drain, they go into the environment, mm-hmm. what are they doing? But, you know, then I come back to, well, you don't need to soap your whole body, like wash your underarms, wash the groin. You know, you don't need to shower every day. Rinsing water is a solvent. Mm-hmm. You know, after you work out, you can rinse. So, you know, if you know that it's synthetic detergent, those types of bars are the ones dermatologists recommend because we know that real soap is damaging, but there's this huge push to go more natural and biodegradable, which I think is, is great for the environment, but you mm-hmm. have to be careful when it comes to your skin and, and maintaining that brick wall. Like you said, your book is called Beyond Soap, so... Finding mm-hmm. alternatives because yeah, soap is pretty much ubiquitous. And when you take it, you know, when I take a shower, you just wash. You, know, you just wash everything because that's what you're told to do. Except mm-hmm. now with hair, I know they say, "Well, don't wash your hair every day." And I feel that a lot more people, at least women, are realizing that because mm-hmm. you don't need to unless you have. You know, like my daughter is, is getting towards teenage years; she probably is going to have to. There were some times when I was younger that I had to because it was pretty oily. But now, no, so it'll it overdries mm-hmm. our scalp. But people don't. It, we don't seem to think the same way about our skin for some reason. Well, and you said we are told to, we've been told to by marketing, right? And, you know, and, and before antibiotics and pre-World War II, sort of really, if you go back then, you could, you could die if you weren't clean. Like yeah, you, you, you know, you went out and stubbed your, or got a thorn and pricked your finger, you could die. So, but nobody's dying from the dirt outside of where we all live in such clean environments, mm-hmm. which is, the other thing I talk about in the book, again, it's a complicated concept, but the hygiene hypothesis or this, it's now called the biodiversity hypothesis, where if we are too clean in our 
homes or water or food in our skin, have we created this sort of dysbiosis or imbalance of the bacteria that we've grown up with for 200,000 years as human beings? And I think the answer is an undisputable yes, but it's hard to change habits. You know, I read the research of this fascinating physician out of the London School of Hygiene who says, you know, the reason people clean so much and we wash so much and hygiene is because, well, first of all, we've been, your mom scrubbed behind your ears, you could die before antibiotics, you're told it by marketing, you know, soap operas were to sell soap to housewives. But in part of it is because it kept us alive. So it's in our DNA to want to be clean because we've basically genetically selected people who were clean lived, right? So it's hard to go against your DNA. I think, you know, this book is not because it's a hot, like people are like, I don't want to stop showering and I'm not going to yeah, stop exactly. using soap. And I'm like, well, just if you're having a problem, think about it as a reset button. And in particular for children, I think we're in charge of our, our kids and how mm-hmm. they wash when they're young. And they're sort of throwing the, the, you know, the baby or the kids in the bathtub every day is not good. And even um, the American Academy of Dermatology to which I belong, you know, on their website, it says how often to, sh- to bathe children. And it says, you know, several times a week. And people be like, what? You can hose them down with the shower. You can sponge bath them. But putting them in a bubble bath of mango and strawberry with all kinds of stuff, whether it's natural or not, is is not good for the skin. Absolutely. Yeah, and you hear about that. Yeah, it's true. You always just say, okay, time for a bath. And it seems like it's every mm-hmm. day. Now, when they're, yeah. when they are like really sweaty, let's just say like my son's really into sports. So yeah, I make him when he does do sports now that that obviously, I mean, so what do you think about that? Like say the kids that are very yeah. active in athletics. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, teenagers are tough too because well, they, he's not they a teen yet, but I get it. He's yeah. going to be, he's nine. So, but I get in a few yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be bad, but mm-hmm. I think, you know, people forget the power of just water. Mm-hmm. You know, I interviewed this fellow for the book. You were talking about the sort of no shampooing and the no poo. Yes. And we tried to get both sides. Like I, so we found this fellow as a blog and he hasn't used soap or detergent or hair shampoo or anything for seven years. And there's this sort of concept that things kind of normalize a little bit with the hair. I don't, I don't, I mean, I guess if you want to wait three months. Oh to, gosh. Yeah. I've heard of this movement. Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't. Yeah. Right. Well, there's a concept that we're we're in a, caught in a vicious cycle of the reason we need moisturizers and the reason we need conditioners is because detergents, both in your shampoo and your body, strip yourself of your natural oils, so you have to mm-hmm. replenish them. But what's happened with that is it's gone crazy, right? So people come in with rashes, and I go back to the sensitive skin and all that, and it's because they're using so many things because they do shower every day and wash their hair every day, and, and you need to replace what you're removing when you wash. And, you know, another person brought up a really good, and sometimes I, I don't think I was so focused on the dermatology aspect, but they're like, there's a huge carbon footprint of just, having a shower every day and then Telegraph in London was, you know, saying, you know, we're going to run out of water. People mm-hmm. can't shower every day. And I mean, the water is a, water's an issue too. I never thought about it that way, but if you're not dirty, if you're not smelly, you don't have to shower. You can rinse if it makes you feel better with your kids. The other thing with bathing children is, especially when they're young, is mm-hmm. let them sit in the bathtub and you, you get the work out of the way first, right? So you scrub their hair, you scrub yep. behind their ears, you wash them, and then they sit in that. Mm-hmm. They're sitting in the detergent yeah, and for playing. half an hour. Yeah, yeah. Right. So let them have their little bath first, enjoy. And as the water's going out, you might want to just wash. I mean, they're not really, kids don't, 
that the really young kids are not getting stinky, right? Mm -hmm. True. So with respect to your son, it's hard. You know, everybody's got different, rinse him off. If he's been out and he is dirty, he should clean with some, some synthetic detergent. But I mean, if he hasn't done anything all day and mm -hmm. he's not smelly. At that age, nine, you yeah, you don't need to. I'm assuming, yeah. yeah, you don't need to. But the teens, to. yeah, I would assume, yes. <laughs> teens, it starts to yeah, get the hormones you know, and the oil. Gets, yeah, and they get smelly and oily and we, we do recommend it. But yeah, I see a lot of older men in my clinic in Toronto. It get, gets cold in, in the fall and mm -hmm. they'll come in and they're, they're like, I'm so itchy. My, I, I feel like my skin's crawling. My legs are so itchy and you know, my back. And, and I look and there's nothing on their skin. There's no rash. Hmm. Might be a little dry. And it's because men in particular... You know that old Irish Spring ad where you got the guy in the shower and he's like soaping his whole body because mm -hmm. we equate it with health. And all I right. have to do is have patients stop doing that. I go, don't wash your. Why are you washing your arms and your back? Where did you? Did you changing the oil in the car? And you got. I mean, it, it, it's, if they're if you're not dirty, you don't need to. You don't need to do anything. And and they stop and they they usually come back and they're like, wow. That, I'm not itchy anymore. My skin isn't crawling. That's and right. uh, you know that's really the patient populace for the book. And the people who say, well, I use 40 products, I don't have a problem. Great. But again, when you do, it's very hard to get answers. You go to the drugstore and what do you do? You buy another product. Mm -hmm. Now, what about for sensitivity, rosacea, people are suffering from that. I know that's a, a struggle. And I, I know it's, it's related probably to, to other conditions. But do you have any recommendations for people? suffering from rosacea. And I'll ask about acne as well, but I'll start with rosacea. Well, again, I'm going to digress for a second because I, I use this analogy in the book and I think it really helps people understand, patients understand. Because again, there's this huge disconnect with the skin and I, I, we don't understand why as dermatologists, but I like to use the comparison I'll, and I'll talk, I'll come back to rosacea in a second, but of asthma and then chapter five, I call ingredients that are troublesome for the skin. I call it smoke for the skin because if you say to a patient, you know what asthma is, and people go, yeah, yeah, people's airways get, you know, tight, and they need puffers or whatever. And we're like, right, okay, so if somebody has asthma, and they go into a smoky room, what happens? And, you know, again, patients will look at you like you have two heads, and they're like, everybody knows that, asthma gets worse. And I will say, well, are they allergic to the smoke? And the patients will usually say, no. Did the smoke cause the disease? No. But it acts as an, as an irritant and an aggravator that brings out someone's genetic condition, Right. So the same for the skin. If you have a condition like rosacea, which we don't understand completely, but let's just chalk it up to genetics. So we, we say that in medicine when we don't know the cause, which is pretty much all diseases, right? So you have rosacea, red, itchy, bumpy. If you use the wrong skincare or you use a lot of products, it's like smoke for your rosacea, right? You're bringing out that tendency because your skin when you have rosacea, is more irritated or irritable or easily irritated. And, and patients will come to see me for allergy testing and they have rosacea and they've been referred from their dermatologist. They're like, patient's rosacea isn't getting better. I've given them medicine, you know, and they, they, they're not getting any better. Can you allergy test them? And I'll, sit, I'll certainly allergy test patients, but I'll sit down and I'll say, so what do you use? And they're using fragrance this, and they're using organic that, and they're doing it. And I'm like, well, your rosacea is not going to get... It's like, here's someone who has diabetes. You give them their medicine, but they eat sugar all day long. Mm -hmm. yeah, medicine's not going to work. So you have to think about, like, rosacea is a disease entity. There are treatments for it. But if you don't do the skincare part right, you won't get control of your rosacea. 
And that's a common scenario that we see as dermatologists. And same with eczema. Patients will come in with uncontrolled eczema and they, they're like, I think I'm allergic to something in my skincare or I think it's gluten. We come back to the food again mm-hmm. and, I, and I allergy test them to things that are in their skincare and they're negative. And I go, you can't use just any product and you can't go by labeling. Even sometimes that says eczema on it, you can't go by it. And certainly not hypoallergenic and sensitive skincare. So, so patients' skin disease, whether that's rosacea, acne, eczema, can be aggravated and precipitated by the personal care products that they're using. Interesting. So even acne as well, because I know, you know, I suffered with it as a teen and I remember how often do you wash? What products do you use? I mean, that's a huge industry, right? Mm -hmm. Oh my God. And eventually I think it was just hormones and there's antibiotics and what do you do? So, Well, acne has little to do with being dirty or not Mm -hmm. washing. In fact, if you overwash and over scrub, in particular rub or scrub, you make acne worse. You know, in my book, I talk about there's some acne studies linking diet, like high glycemic, high sugar diets with uh, increased incidence of that acne. <clears throat> we do know, and we're starting to learn more about how the microbiome changes in our skin microbiome may have contributed to acne. I mean, all yeah. of this is still, is still new. But the problem with the diet piece is that you can have somebody be you know, very strict with a low glycemic diet, which is essentially a diabetic diet, DASH diet, we call it. Right. And their acne doesn't get better. So it's in, in medicine's never black and white. People want a magic answer. If I, if I go on this diet, will I get better? If I use this one cream, will I get better? It's, you know, as a society, we have created an inflammatory condition somehow. Like, you know, if we look at eczema and acne, the incidence has, has climbed. And if you go into what's really troubling, and the United Nations even has identified this, you go into countries aren't sort of industrialized or westernized and these conditions start to increase once you introduce westernized ways of diet and cleaning Mm -hmm. and showers and you know the incidence goes up it's not the only part this is there's 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 a complex story right but there's no doubt that our modern way of living and cleaning and eating is is causing disease something that's that's you know a lot of women and men worried about his aging and how it looks and how it's, you know, the effects on the skin. And that's a huge industry. And, you know, the product, it, there's just so many products and so many things you can do, whether it's products or injecting or whatever. So it's hard even for us as dermatologists to keep on track of everything. <laughs> so what do you suggest for somebody, you know, say that they're not sensitive, you know, that, that they're not identifying or, or they're not tested as sensitive. I do mention a little sort of, you know, very basic recipe of what I recommend, and it's what I do myself. I'm going to just digress again and say that, so think about the skin again like a brick wall. Mm-hmm. So you've got this this barrier, and it sort of keeps the bad guys out, keeps water in. Sun, sun exposure is, sun and smoking are the two worst things you can do for aging. And, and a, a lot mm-hmm. of aging and how well we age is genetic. Right. But the new player is pollution. And there's lots of studies to show that people that live in, you know, high traffic cities and pollution age more, more wrinkles, mm. more brown spots. And what's fascinating about that is, so you think, so the, the pollution, there's like nitrous oxide molecules, there's all these uh, petrol, and they, they, they're, they're hitting the skin, right? So you want, you want your skin not to absorb them or to reflect them. Mm-hmm. But when you overwash and clean, mm-hmm. you're actually leaving yourself open for the stuff to come in because you're making it 
easier. Like there was one dermatologist I talk about in the book. He was fasting. It was quoted in the London newspaper. Like people are out all day and there's pollution. And what do they do? They come home and they want to, you know, sandblast their face and wash it all off. Mm-hmm. That actually, you're you're doing. It's making it worse because you're you're going to damage your your skin's natural ability to protect itself. So sunscreen with a physical block that so the sunscreen part will protect you against the onslaught of aging from ultraviolet rays and then the physical block the zinc or titanium aspect can help protect you from the pollution you know smoking is self self evident that mm-hmm. it ages your skin and then genetics you know i write about in the book a big company did this study looking at people that age better than others so they I think it was 250 people they randomly had was blinded people said okay this person looks much younger than their their age their chronological age so they took these young agers people who didn't look their age and they they looked at their whole genomics like you know okay. it's so easy now to look at uh, right. oh, someone's whole set of dna and they wanted to find of course it was a skincare company trying to find some new molecule to mm-hmm. decrease aging and what they found was the, the people that age better had more genetic aptitude to protect themselves from ultraviolet damage. Okay. So again, you, you know, you can argue that the only thing you need to do is don't smoke, wear sunscreen, have a physical block, and there's some newer evidence on sleeping and stress, how that can age us, mm-hmm. and then product. So product is complicated because it's a lot of marketing, mm-hmm. and I base, you know, I really just lay, laid out very simply in the book that the two things three things that have shown without a doubt to help decrease aging of the skin are sunscreen and i would argue with a physical block retin-a or retinol which is vitamin type of vitamin a mm-hmm. retin-a prescription is synthetic retinoic acid and then glycolic acid or alpha hydroxy acid mm-hmm. and then the fourth with a little bit is vitamin c stable vitamin c topically okay. everything right. else that you read about and hear about it's softer science, right? Right. And it's nice to have some options because a lot of people can't tolerate retinol or glycolic acid because they're quite irritating. Mm-hmm. So then you go to other, you know, peptides, antioxidants, growth factors, stem cell stuff. But the science is soft. And, you know, if you really, I don't talk about topicals as removing or decreasing aging. I talk about them as you might age slower. Right. <laughs> you, might, right. you might wrinkle a little bit less. You slow the clock. But in my book, I say aging is 60% genetics. And then the vast majority of the rest is your lifestyle, smoking, sun, and pollution. Mm-hmm. And then there's a small sliver for product. And, and I mean, if you really want to do something, you've got to be interventional like Botox or fillers or surgery. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty much it in a nutshell. All those creams, you know, the $300 moisturizer, mm. you know, mm-hmm. probably it's, it's probably not as, yeah, yeah, and there's so much of it. And, you know, people, a lot, a lot of patients will come back, but I like it. It smells fun. I like to open mm-hmm. a package. And, 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 you know, again, I'm not, I'm trying to give a, a book for a pathway for people who want to wade through all the stuff, you, you know, that's out there. With, and I back everything up with science. This isn't just my opinion. Right? I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm giving you scientific studies. And then, of course, for people that are truly having skin issues, that's what the book is for. Or when you have skin issues. Or if you don't want to ha- get to the position where you're going to have a skin issue, right? So for all those types of 
patients, it's going to be helpful and, and definitely for babies and children. There are a lot of beautiful smelling things like those bath bombs and they have all those, you know, lotions and it's, but I, I can't use them, but I, I like to, I like to go into the stores and smell them. Let's just say that's about all I can do, but they were, those products were, you're right. They really have exploded. There's so many more of them. I mean, the beauty industry, this is explo- like massively exploded even since I became a dermatologist, like since 1970, it's like. $400 billion industry. You know, a lot of it is, and I talk about that in the book, it's a business. It's not about your health. It's a business. And the big, big companies have, have shares, shareholders to answer to. They have to have growth. They have to create new products to sell. Where's a hole in the market? Let's, let's, and they segment the market. So they have one, one product that's a good seller, like let's say oil lay, and then they're like, okay, this is great. Let's let's make twenty oil lays. One, some people like them light, some people like heavy. One with sunscreen, one with scent, one with natural, one with this, one with that. Satisfy every segment of the market, so you sell more. And the problem is, as dermatologists, we we see people who have reactions to this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And it just gets frustrating. What would you say is your biggest frustration as a dermatologist? It's people who come in with sort of self-reported sensitive skin. And, okay. and then the, the lack of, as all dermatologists, we, we really wish there was more regulation like there is in Europe. You know, like okay. your cosmetic act hasn't been updated since 1938. Interesting. So in Europe, there are more in European countries or just in the EU in general? Are there more, there's a lot more regulation? Yes. Oh, yes. Yes, yes. And, you know, and sometimes the pushback there is, well, we don't have the freedom to, to, to do what we want to do. But it's easier to get stuff done in the European Union too, I think, because it's a commission of multiple countries that you don't have lobby groups in, in their in that mm-hmm. company sort of trying to block something, right? Like they've restricted the use of certain paraben preservatives in skincare on babies' okay. bumps. They've restricted methyl isothiazone, which caused a huge epidemic of, of uh, reactions in shampoos. It's a preservative and it's in body washes. And I mean, those types of things would be would be helpful for the you know the FDA to be able to regulate. And the, and the huge organic market, it's it's very unregulated, and a lot of it is greenwashing, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's because it, yeah, so it's it's tough for consumers, and and people want to do the right thing, right? And for their kids, and for themselves, and for the environment. And in, in the beauty industry, it's hard because the messages and are mixed up with you know a massive commercial industry and it's hard to push push back against that i can imagine let's see so your book is available is it available on amazon and it's it's a bestseller as well i forgot to mention that it is a best selling book so people can purchase it online yeah it's very exciting actually it's starting to to really get some traction in the us cuz i've been doing a little bit more us media but uh, it's a bestseller in skin and beauty both on Amazon.ca and Amazon.com. You can also get it at uh, Barnes & Noble, Google Play. I did this very wonderful interview with New Zealand Radio, which was cool, a couple weeks ago, and, and got all kinds of great questions because eczema is quite prevalent in, in New Zealand. And it's going to be translated to, uh, to Vietnam and Czech Republic, so, oh, okay. which is kind of kind of cool. That is really cool. Now, do you have it, uh, another website or anything where people can find out more information or somewhere else that you would want to point someone to? Yeah. So when you write a book like this, it can be outdated like, you know, in a year, I mm-hmm. make recommendations. So I, I, my website is my name, basically, uh, com. But we talked briefly about this sort of product 
diet that people can go on when they're having an issue to sort of reset their skin. Okay. It's, it's under that website, my, which is my name, which is the book name. But you can also, there's a website dedicated to it called uh, ProductElimination.com. So kind of give you some recommendations that, that I've vetted that are truly okay. fragrance-free, truly irritant-free, have the least amount of allergens. Then again, I, I, like I said, I got some pushback because a, a few of those products have parabens in it. If we could just touch on, on parabens for a second. Yeah, I was going to ask about parabens. Yeah. They're so complicated, but basically there's four paraben preservatives that are used in skincare. And an easy way to remember the good ones are just, there's methylparaben, ethylparaben, propyl, and butyl. So the me ones, M and E, methyl and ethyl, are the safer ones because they don't bind as much estrogen. Okay. And as long as they're controlled, methylparaben, interestingly, is found in natural plants. You see it in blueberries. So the plants produce it themselves to, to help preserve themselves. Oh, okay. Yeah, and it's a common thing that people don't know. But then the, the, so the pushback as well, how much is too much? And so the product elimination diet has some products that do have parabens in it. But the, part of the diet thing is this sort of to reset your skin when you're having an issue. So if you don't, once you get better, you can reintroduce stuff that is more organic or more fragrance-free. But when you do it in an organized fashion, when your skin isn't problematic, you can figure out what actually causes a problem. I'll give you, if we have a minute here, I'll give you a really good story. Sure. I was a patient just a few months ago who was referred to me by a dermatologist because her face was red and burning. And it had been like that for months. She was adamant she would only use natural oils and she didn't want to have any. And I said, well, listen, I can allergy test you, but just try this diet for three weeks. It's just, you know, you stop everything, your shampoo, your everything you're using on your skin, everything on your face. Because um, the other common misconception is that products move around. Like what you put on your scalp to wash your scalp or hair goes over your whole body, in particular your face. So she came, she's like, oh, I don't want to use that because it's got doesn't have this and it doesn't have, has that and I'm like just try it three weeks just reset your skin then you can go back to your own products but you and you can introduce them in an organized fashion to try to figure it out so we did end up allergy testing her and she was negative but what happened was she came back earlier and she said I figured it out and I said well at least you figured it out I stopped everything I cleared up within about a week and then I started to introduce some of my own products in particular I like I have a homemade moisturizer that I used frankincense oil in and as soon as I put it on my face my face lit up like a tomato but I wouldn't have figured it out had I not stopped everything and reintroduced one product at a time you asked me what my frustration is is I see people all the time who are struggling with their skin and they don't need another product because it's, it gets, there's just so many products. And so you have to stop everything, do this list, reset your skin, and then, then you can introduce things one per week. So a good example is a patient I had a couple months ago was referred to me by another dermatologist. And this is sort of a textbook case where she's, she's had a burning, red, itchy face for, for months, and she's tried to stop things, switch things. She's seen multiple dermatologists. She's referred to me for allergy testing, to which we never talked about, but it's called patch testing, to ingredients that are in your personal care products. And we, we put the chemicals on your back, and then we, we um, test to see if you have a reaction to them. So, but the problem is, is that it's a very hard it's a very hard test to go through because it takes a whole week for patients. It's three visits; they can't shower. So I said, listen, try this 
product elimination mm-hmm. diet. And she didn't really want to because it had some stuff on there that she didn't, you know, I only use organic. I don't like, I like oils and things like that. And I said, well, just, just try it for three weeks. And it's not forever. It's just to reset your skin. Cause it's the only thing that I felt I can, I can try to figure out what's causing people's problems. And so she came back in three weeks and her, her patch testing appointment was months away. Cause in Canada we have a big shortage, right? So she said, I figured it out. Or she said, you figured it out. I, I stopped everything. Like you said, I should stop my shampoo, my, everything on my face, everything on my body, my detergent, everything. I, and I switched to your list and I cleared up, you know, within about several days, she said, and up to a week. And then I started to reintroduce the products that I missed one at a time, one per week. And as soon as I reintroduced my moisturizer, which I make myself and it has only four ingredients. And one of them is frankincense oil undiluted right so she she put a few like a straight up concentration into her moisturizer my face started to burn right away like within within an hour and you know i i would have never suspected that because it's all natural and i've been using it for years and why would it happen all of a sudden and so this is you know usually what happens with patients is because they're so especially women they use so many products and products don't just are not site-specific, your shampoo. We see a lot of shampoo reactions that don't affect the scalp, but affect your eyelids or your neck. And until we stop everything and reintroduce, people can't figure it out. So that's why the main reason I wrote the book, because you know we see patients over and over and over again with the same problems, and they just go and get more product, or they try to go mm-hmm. more natural, and it's not helping them. I had one other question about the the microbiome of the skin. Now, it's acid, that it should be acidic. Now, is it like kind of the same as, I mean, I'm assuming there's no probiotics for your skin yet, but is there also like, are there organisms that we, we're supposed to have and that we're killing kind of like in our gut or is it is it just more the pH? No, there's a lot of research there, but it's still really young. There's some fascinating stuff about how our skin bacteria can actually fight off other bacteria like staph epidermis okay. is sort of a normal bacteria can fight off bad bacteria like staph aureus and i mean that kind of stuff is is coming down the pipeline but a lot of the things that are available now are like probiotic like lysates or things that are i don't know how useful they are my sort of thing is we wouldn't need that if we didn't shower and wash incorrectly mm-hmm. <laughs> So to preserve the microbiome, is it just maybe a little less scrubbing yeah. down on less is more, fewer ingredients. Only wash what's dirty or smelly. Be careful with your kids, uh, you know, mm-hmm. when they're young. I think that 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 type of skincare is coming because people realize that the microbiome in diseased skin, like eczema and psoriasis and acne, is different. So we've changed it somehow. Well, oh, we, okay. we just don't know how. It's the same with the gut. And I think it comes back to that hygiene hypothesis, biodiversity hypothesis, where you know, for 200,000 years, humans sort of existed with, with doing very little to their skin. And we kind of evolved with the world around us. And in the last 100, we have clean water, clean food, clean skin, antibiotics, vaccines. Mm-hmm. And we've, we've disrupted the balance. You know, this is sort of silly, but I took my son to Jurassic Park, the new movie. And mm-hmm. they were like, you, know, you can't accelerate nature you know messing around with genetics and creating dinosaurs i mean we we've altered our our body's microbiome inside and outside in the last hundred years and we as a species are two hundred thousand years old so it's causing problems and it's going to be exciting to see where medicine goes because 
it's all coming back to the microbiome, even cancer therapy, you know. Interesting. It seems like a lot of it is coming back to that. I mean, whereas before we needed to, you know, get these antibiotics and everything to, because the bacteria was, you know, we, we didn't, we didn't understand that before that, but maybe it's, it's kind of going the other way. Like in real, we didn't realize that there was good bacteria. Now we know. Well, I mean, if you think about how penicillin was discovered, it was, you know, a piece of moldy bread falling on a Petri dish and, and around, mm-hmm. around the mold, the bacteria stopped growing. Bacteria and fungus have been in different, different organisms, single cell organisms that we can't see have been fighting each other for millions of years. <laughs> and we've come along and just, you know, just carpet bombed them all. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think my little book's going to change anything, but I, I think for, I think it's starting a discussion. And the microbiome of the skin is really right now. There's we have tons of research in the gut, but the skin, even though it's a very small percentage of our total microbiome of the body, mm-hmm. it's it's the gateway into our into our into our system, right? into our body through the through the skin barrier. Well, before we sign off, are there, is there anything else you wanted to share with our listeners? Anything they can do to to help besides let I guess less is more. <laughs> yeah, less is more. Oh my, the sort of fun thing is you know less is more. Don't wash yourself if you're not dirty. Only wash your bits. You know, so bits is underarms and groin. And I think you know it may be too maybe maybe too late for us with our microbiome as adults or. But with our children, we can. You're in charge of them. You can start help more healthy. Just even the carbon footprint of of use of water, and the knowledge of what water and soap actually does to your skin. Thank you so much, Sandy, for joining me today on a teaspoon of healing. I learned a lot, and I'm going to check out your book. It's on Amazon. Everybody, go order. It's Beyond Soap by Dr. Sandy Scott Nicky, and I'll spell her last name S K O T N I C. Hi. So it's spelled pretty much exactly as it said. Well, thank you very much for your time. This has been, uh, been great. Appreciate it. And thank you very much also. Thank you for listening to this episode of A Teaspoon of Healing. If you have a question for me or for Dr. Scott Nicky, visit my website, teaspoonofhealing.com. Click on contact, fill out the form, and I'll get back to you. You can also listen to other episodes download transcripts, read my blog, and you can find out a little more information about me and some tips for your health. So stay tuned next week. We will be having a special guest as usual, and I'm sure you're going to find it interesting. And if you are on iTunes and you do not currently subscribe to this podcast, please do so. And if you can leave me a star rating and a review, I'd really appreciate it. And by the way, this podcast is now available on Spotify. So check me out there if that's what you're into. Thanks. Thank you for listening to A Teaspoon of Healing with Dawn Damari, your home for wellness and vibrant living. For more resources on wellness and vibrant living, visit us online at teaspoonofhealing.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute medical advice. Please consult a physician or other health professional before undertaking changes in lifestyle or wellness habits. The author claims no responsibility to any person or entity for any liability, loss, or damage caused or alleged to be caused directly or indirectly as a result of use, application, or interpretation of the information presented herein. 